So tonight we look at the life of Asa, and I've summed up his life, and I think it really captures, when we look at the, the scriptures regarding this um, really extraordinary man, um, it really sums up his life of a contrast between divine reliance or self-sufficiency, uh, divine reliance or self-sufficiency. There's really two ways you can be living life, and sometimes we kind of bounce back and forth. Uh, we rely on ourselves, we see ourselves as sufficient rather than actually trusting in God. So I want to go through his life and learn from him, um, and it will definitely be not just for kids. Um, we see first off in Second Chronicles 14, and his life is also in, um, in First Kings as well, but we're looking at a more extensive description of his life in 2 Chronicles 14 through 16. So, in 2 Chronicles 14, we see a good beginning. We read, Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the asherim. Um, these were used in um, I idol worship. They were kind of pillars and, and things that were set up where people would worship these false gods. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep or guard or treasure the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars. So people would worship these idols in all kinds of places. And the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. Now, we learn right at the beginning that Asa's father is named Abijah. Abijah was a wicked king. He ruled only three years. So, Asa, when he's, he's more than grown up, he's probably teenage years, he has a wicked father who's a, who's a bad king. He doesn't reign for very long. Asa's grandfather is named Rehoboam, and he was also evil. He reigned only 17 years. In his days, the kingdom of Israel was divided. It was divided as punishment from God on the idolatry of Solomon, his father. So, here's Asa. His father's a wicked man, his grandfather's a wicked man, and his great-grandfather, Solomon, though he was a good man much of his life, in his latter years as an old king, he began to worship idols too. So you've got really Asa's whole life growing up, he has an example of father, grandfather, and great-grandfather that are not serving the Lord faithfully. It's been more than 20 years since Judah or Israel has had a king who was doing right before God. And so right, right at the beginning, we, we learn something about uh, serving the Lord. Sometimes we think that a child whose family is not God-fearing has no chance. Not so. Men like Asa show that God can raise up godly men and women despite their upbringing. And so it's important that parents rear their children in the, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. 
But maybe you didn't have a father like that. Maybe you didn't have grandparents like that. And you might be thinking, oh, if I had only known the Lord sooner, if I'd only had a godly example, if I'd only had somebody who had discipled me. But, but since I didn't, now my life is never going to be what it could be. No, that's not what the scriptures would indicate in the history. If God grabs hold of your heart, serve the Lord with all your heart, whether or not you have a good example doesn't, doesn't really matter in terms of, I mean, we each stand before the Lord. And we learned that Asa did what was good, what was beneficial, and what was right or upright or straight. It lined up with God's rules in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't just pretending. He lived right before the very eyes of God. Those who live wickedly don't take into account that, that they're living in front of God, that God's face is toward them, and He's watching everything. One of the best things you can do, uh, whether you're young or old, and in, in, in helping being motivated to doing the right thing, is the reality that you answer to God, that God's watching. So whatever people think of you, or whatever your examples are, if you, you know God and you know what He wants, then live before Him. Even a child, you can tell when a child is living before God and just doing what he knows is right before God. Don't make it where your mom and dad have to like, like get on your case to do the right thing. Do the right thing because you know God wants you to do the right thing. Serve him. Asa did that even though he had parents and grandparents and great-grandparents that didn't serve the Lord like they should have. Um, and I've, I've seen this in my, my own life. My dad grew up in a family that didn't know the Lord. His father uh, lived wickedly for many, many years. He didn't get saved till he was 81 years old, way too late to be a uh, help to my dad. Um, my father was 11 years old when he came, put his faith in Jesus. He heard the gospel for the first time. He was the very first one in his family to come to know the Lord. And that, this, that changed the entire future. That changed my life because I had a dad who loved the Lord. And, but he didn't have a dad who loved the Lord, and yet he was one of the best men that I've ever known. Well, Asa removed the idols and destroyed their places of worship. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, to keep his law and commandments. So it wasn't just that he's doing the right thing. He's encouraging other people to do the right thing. You realize that's something that you can even do as a kid. Like you can be in school, like you can be in second grade, and you can be encouraging your friends and your classmates to do the right thing. You can be praying for them. You can be saying, you know, what did you get out of the Bible today? You can, you know, you can confront them when they're doing the wrong thing. Like, you know, hey, that's not what God would want. Um, and, and you can encourage, you know, it's just the coolest thing to see and it's school-age children that will band together and will say, hey, let's serve the Lord together. Let's stick together. Let's, let's serve God. Let's, let's start praying for our classmates. Let's start praying for our teachers and for our country. Well, he built uh, fortified cities, and he enjoyed peace for more, at least for the first 10 years. It was given to him by God. Um, and that's what's interesting about Asa. Asa is serving the Lord, and it doesn't mean that, you know, he's all the time going to the temple to worship. It doesn't mean that, that all he does is religious things. We see that there's a lot of practical things he did as well, like building fortified cities. Uh, he was a good king in, in all the other responsibilities as well. Wholehearted devotion to God is not the enemy of my other responsibilities. It is rather the sphere in which they're best fulfilled. And so, in, in fact, generally, generally, 
where you start to get indication that you're actually drifting away from God, it starts to show up in your other responsibilities. It starts to show up in your attitudes. It starts to show up in you're not being faithful with your work. Look, I, I, you know, I teach in high school for, I know that the students that are too lazy to do their homework aren't right with God because this is what God's given them to do. They're just not right with God. The, the students that, that, that talk bad about other people, I know they're not right with God. Or they have an attitude about obeying their parents, they're not right with God. They can't be. You see, if they're right with God, it's going to be reflected just in the responsibilities, the things God has given us to do. So, so look, the first person I need to be right with is God himself. You know, we can take this all the way up into, into our families. You realize, husband and wife, the reason you, if you're not getting along, the, the reason you're not getting along is not just because of the, the irritating uh, characteristics of your spouse. Part of the reason it's not working well is that one or both of you is, is not right with God. Because if you were, you could work it out. When I'm right with God, other things will... It doesn't mean everything gets easy, but, but it does mean that, that we're going to be able to work things out. And, and when I'm not right with God, it starts to show up in lots of different ways. Um, and we see Asa doing the right thing. He had a really good beginning. And then it gets even better. We see an impossible victory in 2 Chronicles 14, 9 through 12. Ten years into his reign, he faced an overwhelming army that was invading the land. Zira, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. In those days, that's like having tanks and jets. I mean, that's, that gave you a decided advantage over men that are just marching on the ground. They came as far as Marishah. That's not too far from Jerusalem. It's in the Judean hillside. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah, at Marishah, and Asa cried to the Lord his God. Now listen to his whole attitude here. He says, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Do you think Asa thought he was mighty, or do you think Asa thought he was weak in this situation? Yeah, he knows he's weak. I mean, facing a million men, even in today's world, if you're facing an army of a million, you're, you're talking about amazing army, very difficult, really impossible situation. O Lord, there's none to, like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. So, so Asa knows with this huge army coming against him that, that he and his army are too weak to win this battle. So Asa relies on Yahweh and he goes to battle in God's name and for his glory. It, it reminded me, as I read this, it reminded me of his great-great-grandfather, David, when as a, a young teenage boy, he's standing before Goliath that makes all the battle-hardened veterans of the army shake with fear. They're afraid to go fight him. 
And, and David says, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. Uh, you have trust in your spear and your strength or whatever, but you've defied the armies of the living God, and I come to you in his name. And of course, God gave David that victory, and here God gave Asa this victory. The outcome, Yahweh defeated the Ethiopians. It was an impossible victory, and yet that God made it possible. You know, if you have God fighting at your side, you don't even need an army. I mean, God can turn things around so easily. It's, it's not hard for him at all. In fact, every human being alive on the planet is dependent on air. Every human being alive on the planet is dependent on the electrical impulse that makes their hearts beat. All God has to do is throw the switch. Okay? God has got complete control of the situation. Our impossible situations make us turn to the God with whom all things are possible. The possible situations tend to build our self-confidence, not our faith. Now look, if you're like me, I like situations I can handle. I, I, I like knowing that I know what to do and that I can do it. I, I like winning and I like knowing I can win. I like knowing that, that I know how to handle it. But the older I get, the more I realize how much I don't know how to handle. In fact, I was super, super, super smart, capable of anything in my 20s. Um, and then and God just kept introducing me to things I had never even thought about before and to problems I'd never faced before. And where you just, you have to rely on God because you're forced to it, you, because you don't know what to do otherwise. Some of you are, are going through things you never thought you'd have to ever have to go through. And it could, it could cause you to lose heart. It could cause you to lose faith. Instead, let me encourage you to have it push you toward reliance completely on the Lord. The impossible situations are in his domain. Look, nothing's impossible with God. Miracles are his stock and trade. He can handle it. He can handle it even when we can't. It's like letting him drive the car when you're the kid and he's the grown-up. The third thing we see in Asa's life is courageous devotion. In 2 Chronicles 15, we read that the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, so the two tribes that Asa is king over, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. In other words, keep holding on to the Lord. Now, what is that going to mean? He says, verse 7, But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Odad, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. Ephraim is part of the northern kingdom. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in the front of the vestibule, the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them, for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel, from the northern tribes, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. There's something very attractive 
about, about someone who knows the Lord where it's obvious the Lord's hand is on him or on her. There's, some, there's something that's very attractive about that where the power of God is evident in the life of a person. It, it, it draws people, even that don't know the Lord, to want to know what's, what's going on. It gives you opportunity to give a reason for the hope that's within you when you're honoring Christ as holy, when your life is showing something that's different from the rest. And so Asa rooted out idolatry, not just in the southern kingdom of Judah, but in regions of the northern kingdom as well. When people in those regions saw that the Lord was with Asa, they joined with him. I want you to remember that this, this runs true to form because it was Solomon's divided heart that led to a divided kingdom. Remember, Solomon loved the Lord, but he also loved many foreign women and, and wives. Those wives turned his heart away from the Lord, and he started serving idols too. And so as his heart was divided, God divided his kingdom. Unity comes when people seek the Lord and abandon their idols. One of the best things that draws a church together is that when we all humble ourselves before God and we say, hey, we just want to do what God wants us to do, okay? Whoever's not doing that is going to cause disruption. Those that, that want to do that, it brings them together. In 2 Chronicles 15, 16, it gets very personal. Even Maacah, his mother, it may have been his grandmother, King Asa removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. It was pretty clear that he wasn't going to have any idolatry, not even in his family. You do realize that sometimes your own family members can be enemies of your serving the Lord. And you have to make your choice. Jesus said that if you love your mother or your father or your wife or your children more than him, you're not worthy of him. He's not calling for us to neglect our family, but he is calling for us to be prepared to withstand the influence of family members that are opposed to serving God. And all over the world, in all kinds of places, even in Greenville, South Carolina, there are times where serving the Lord means that your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife or your children, people that matter to you, aren't happy. And, and you have to decide. Now, we do what we can to live peaceably with people. We, we want to treat them right, but there are times when we have to make a choice. And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, I, I, would, I would be coming to church, but it, it offends, okay? I, I would trust in Jesus, but I come from this background and I know my parents would be upset. You have to decide for yourself whether you are going to serve the Lord. And Asa himself had to do this. Very powerful queen mother, someone in his family, he ends up opposing. But number four, we read of his foolish self-reliance in 2 Chronicles 16. Asa faithfully served the Lord. The Lord rewarded him for it. But somewhere along the way, Asa let faith in God take a back seat to human strategy. Here's the first evidence we see of it in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa. So he's no rookie king now. He, he's been through a lot. 
He's, he's, he has reigned over twice as long already as his father did, because his father was only 17 years. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Why did he do that? Because people saw that the Lord was with Asa and people from the northern kingdom are deserting the northern kingdom and coming to the southern kingdom. In other words, it's bringing a unity back to the divided kingdom. And Basha up in the northern kingdom says, no, 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 I'm not going to lose the power I have, the people I have with this Asa. We're going to prevent them. It's like he put up the wall, just like east-west Germany. He puts up a wall to stand in the way of their going down, not to keep people out, but to keep people in so that they don't go down to the southern kingdom. What's Asa going to do? Well, the Asa of old would cry out to the Lord. But we don't read that about Asa this time. Then Asa took silver and gold from of all places, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house, and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. So he pays off the king of Syria to break a covenant with the king of Israel so that, that they can force the king of Israel to stop this building project that's, that's, that's going to be a threat to Judah. Now, Asa's strategy was common enough, and it worked. It worked. And so Asa's going, way to go, Asa. You, you, you know, you used, you used what you had and you, and you got Basha to back off, but it lacked the reliance on God that he had displayed when he was younger. We sometimes think that the older we are and the more experienced, the less likely we are to make bad decisions and turn from reliance on the Lord. History would show otherwise. By the way, I, I guess this is an appropriate time to share a pet peeve. It really bugs me when people that are my age, old, older folk, mature folk, say this phrase, young people these days. You know, these young people, like, come on. Like, sin just showed up in the last 10 years. Uh, like, you never did anything stupid. Um, you know, when we start dividing, like, ageism, like, if you're in this certain decade, you're really smart, and, and this can go both directions, and if you're not, then you're really dumb. That's just, I'm sorry, that's just stupid, okay? It's arrogant. Um, it, it puts down other people just because of the number of years, and it's not always, your number of years doesn't keep you from being foolish. And here Asa, when he was younger, did the right thing. He was upright. When he was older, that's when he made his mistakes. And, and I say this not just for the attitude. I say this that sometimes we think, you know, we've made it. Man, if I could just get out of my teen years, then I've made it. Oh, if I can just get out of my, if I can just rear my kids and get through, then I've made, no. Not till you step into heaven's gates have you made it. Okay? I'm not saying, I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about 
You're not beyond making really foolish mistakes just because you've got experience. In fact, there can be lots of reasons that you fall. The, the temptations keep coming, and, and we just have to, we have to be careful. The Scripture tells us to flee youthful lust, but, but we have to watch drifting away from the Lord in our mature years as well, and we see it happen a lot. So, Asa made a mistake, but his plans worked. Is his self-reliance all that bad a thing? Well, the test is going to come in how he responds when he's confronted for his lack of faith. That's going to reveal his heart. That's going to reveal that he didn't just make a mistake, that there's something deeper going on. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. In other words, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, he's going to be a bad guy too. He's going to be a threat to you. So you relied on a person that's going to be a future enemy in order to get you out of the immediate danger, but, but it was short-sighted. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Think about that. I mean, you could be five or 95 if your heart is toward the Lord. God's looking for people like you to bless them. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa got down on his hands and knees and says, Will the Lord please for No, he didn't do that. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. So when the prophet confronted Asa, he got angry and retaliated, throwing him in prison. And then he shows cruelty to other people as well at the same time. When you're not right with God, the people around you suffer. Sin and harm go together. And it's something to remember. You know, say, sometimes we think, well, I can do the wrong thing, and, and, you know, that's my decision, and it doesn't affect anybody else. I have a right to make the decision. No, when you do the wrong thing, other people suffer. How do you respond when a brother or sister confronts you for doing wrong? I mean, we all do wrong things. We, we, we all make mistakes. We all do foolish things. We all sin. What about that brother or sister who has the guts? Here's a prophet who has the guts to go up against the king and call him out on what he's done. How is the king going to treat him? Well, how do you treat people who have the guts to come to you and confront you? And, and hopefully they do it the right way, but even if they don't do it the right way, a brother or sister who confronts you for a sin is a courageous friend. And you want to treat that person as such. I mean, think about the way you feel when you know you need to confront somebody about something that, that's wrong, that's, that's harmful, that's foolish, and, and you're going to talk to them. You know how you... My guts churn on those things. It's like, it's like, like I don't... 
I don't want to even have to make that phone call. I don't want to have that meeting. And what is it that drives you to do that? Well, love for the Lord and love for that person. You're, you're willing. You know, when we're rearing our kids, it's, it's, I was surprised. You know, I thought like, like spanking my kids and making them do right was just going to be like, well, yeah, it was hard. I didn't, I didn't, want, I didn't want to have to do it. Parents, sometimes it's, we lack courage in confronting our kids about the, the things that they need to be confronted about. Okay? And, and so these are special friends that are willing to come to us. And I can think of times in, here at Hampton Park when people have come to me and said, you know, Drew, are, are you really, have you thought about this? Or I've noticed this or I noticed that. And, and what's going on? And, and those are true friends indeed. Well, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 12, we read, in the 39th year of his reign. So let's see what happened. When did this in the 36th? So three years later, after he makes his first big foolish mistake, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Okay, so how many people do you know are diseased in their feet? Well, you don't, because usually we're not paying attention to people's feet, okay, unless it makes them where they can't walk. So it's kind of like, you know. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. Maybe he thought it was too small to pray about. But sought help from the physicians. Look, if you have to go to the doctors for it, you ought to be talking to God about it. And Asa slept with his fathers. I've just got some disease in my feet. Yeah, it's pretty bad. You're dead. Okay? It, It killed him. Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by perfumer's art. They made a great, very great fire in his honor. So Asa's foolish pattern of self-reliance lasted five years, and it ended up costing him his life. He'd been victorious over a million-man army because he sought the Lord, but he died from a foot disease because he pursued what only man could do. What a humiliating end for a man who had become proud of the success that God gave him. Now, Asa had a long and illustrious reign of 41 years, one year longer than Solomon, one year longer than David. But it could have been longer yet. It didn't have to end the way it did. Self-reliance was Asa's downfall when trust in God had marked his rise to success. He had a good beginning. He won an impossible victory. He showed courageous devotion, but foolish self-reliance shortened his life and his reign. Let's make the first three the story of our lives and leave off the fourth one. Let's be devoted to the Lord and relying on Him right to the last breath we take. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, help us lean on You. Um, Lord, sometimes... The things we fret about are things we think are too small to bring to you. Or maybe they're so big that we know we ought to bring them to you, but we've become too self-reliant to do so. 
Lord, help us keep relying on you. Help us do the right thing. Help us follow your commands. But help us trust you to, to win those impossible victories and to extend our lives in ways that are productive. Lord, help us treat one another well. Help us to have humble hearts when we're confronted for what's wrong, that we might walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray.